0: Um, I'm excited to uh, continue to walk through Acts with you guys. We've been in Acts in some time. Uh, We'll be there uh, for a little while longer. Uh, We're almost hitting that midpoint. Um, Right now, we've been going through big chunks of text because there have been huge historical narratives that's been going on. And so I've been really trying to be prayerful how to go uh, about the text in a faithful way um, because I want to make sure that 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 yeah, that we're handling it well so that I'm modeling Bible study methods, even as I teach the Bible to you guys. Um, and I think we're on the right path that, you know, when they're big chunks I, I know it's a lot, but I think we got to take them in, as that uh, so that we understand what's going on in the whole story. And Every once in a while, I'll chop things up and I'll, I'll give a snapshot of what, or when we'll do that. Um, if you are new, uh, we, we are so glad you're here. We hope that first and foremost, you hear that you experience the gospel and you hear about Jesus. That's the reason why we are here. Um, And also we we pray that in you hearing about Jesus and understanding more about the gospel, that you experience God's love through this body. Um, That's our heart is that you leave and go, man, man, those people love like like I've never been loved before. They care like I've never been cared before. Why is that? And we would say because we've been born again, because our trust and our hope is in a a savior um, who is much greater than us. Praise the Lord (laughs) to save us from our sin. Um, So that's our heart. And then we go through books of the Bible. Right now we're in Acts because uh, Bible is God's word. He has uh, given us an understanding of what he wants us to be about, who he is. And then he's given us uh, the grace of revealing himself to us through the scriptures. And then we as believers go through the scriptures uh, to understand who we are, what we're to be about in this world and how to enjoy uh, Jesus. And so we're in Acts, ask you to go online, catch up, got a little bit of work to do, about 13 chapters. But uh, you know, hook it up. Do it like you do, like a Netflix. You know, when you have those little marathons and you watch the DVDs, all that. You can just do that with our with our Acts series. You know, um, hey guys. So uh, what I want to do is uh, I, last week I summarized all the Acts, and I'll do that here and there. We have got a lot of text, so I'm gonna jump right in. I think this pericope will make sense in itself. This, this specific text, and then I'll recalibrate us even next week on what's happened and how we got here. So we'll bounce back and forth that way. Cool, guys. Okay, so we're in Acts. Uh, 13, uh, we've, uh, let me show you something though, real cool. Do we have the, um, there should be a little map here. So what's going on is you guys have heard of uh, Paul's missionary journeys? You heard of that? Well- What happens is basically We've seen the people of God Become the people of God They realize Jesus is the king rose from the dead He sends them on mission Gives them the Holy Spirit To empower them to be on mission Right And then uh, We begin to see this guy Saul Who's killing Christians Become a Christian And now he's called His name is Paul And uh, what he does Is he's proclaiming The gospel to the world Because he can't keep it to himself He realizes Oh this is what I'm supposed to be about I'm supposed to be about My whole life Uh, Not just being a smart Pharisee But I'm a smart Pharisee For a reason That is to help people understand how the law and the prophets have led toward this person, Jesus Christ, right? And so what he does uh, is he takes what they call uh, three missionary journeys, okay? So uh, he takes these three big trips where he's proclaiming the gospel to the known world. And uh, this is what you call the first missionary journey. And the reason why I show you this, and uh, maybe next week I'm going I'm to blow it up a little bit and then show you where we're going. Uh, but if you look at Acts chapter 13, look down in your Bibles at Acts chapter 13. You can look at the beginning when it tells you um, some places they've gone to. And then you You can look at what we're looking at today in verse 13, and you can see it says, you know, for example, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. You can kind of just map out what he's doing in his first missionary journey. Okay, so now the the hilarious thing is for years, you know, I've been looking at these journeys, uh, these missionary journeys for years as a theologian, and they've never made this really big. I'm like, why is it always that small, the little writing in there? So when you guys, and so that's, that's a, a job for you guys, you can go home. If you can find me a really big fat one where I can show you that and there's the big lines and you can actually see it, email me, all right? And I'll bring you a Kit Kat or something, all right? <laughs> but it's been hard for me. I'm telling you, I've been looking. So they're usually either all three missionary journeys together or one's really small. So this is the first one. just want to give you that snapshot. Um, just really, I think it encourages me when I can see, oh, so he traveled like that. He went here and he went there. Uh, so you look at, again, Acts chapter 13, you'll see the beginning of that first missionary journey and you see it continues in Acts verse 13, which is what we're looking at today. Let's jump right in. You ready? All right, guys. So he starts off. Let me let me start off by saying there's two things. Uh, think about your life. All right. As we look at this text and ask yourself, first and foremost, what, what would it look like to have God's resume? What would it look like to have guys' resume? Like, what is our, what's a resume, right? It's a resume is like what you've been doing, right? Like, why do you have the credentials, right? Why, like, like, what gives you to, the right to feel like you have a certain pedigree? So basically, we get a resume to say, here's, here's why I, sh- I should be able to get this job, because I've done this, 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 and this, right? We basically, a resume shows your adult acts, right, in history that makes you qualified for something, correct? What's a Guy's resume? You ever thought about that? Better yet, yeah, my, my sister said he started the earth. Yeah, that's a, that's a start, right? Hey, let me ask you this, family. What's God's resume in your life? Have you ever thought about that? How do you talk about your daily actions? How do you talk about what's happening in your life today? How do you talk about your journey yesterday? And as you discuss about what you did yesterday, about what you did last week, about what your family was about this past year, about the heartaches, the situations, the joys, tell me how do you talk about it? And where, how much does God get a say in that? How many times do we mention Jesus, God, Jesus, God? Think about that. Well, we have Paul here on the scene in verse 13, right? Remember, we said basically we're going to see kind of an exit out of Peter for a little bit. We'll see him get a little cameo appearance in, in chapter 15. But right now, uh, the Holy Spirit is trying to show us something about just basically how the, the church began to grow. And now we have Paul on the scene. He got his companions. They've already preached the gospel into this first, the first island of Cyprus, Right. We've seen that and then it says in verse 13, now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia In Pamphylia and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Right. And so what we have here is we have the missionaries have preached the gospel. They get on the boat. They're going, they go sailing right south, the south coast and they go down to Cyprus. If you remember the little map that you have, you can look back on it. You'll see them go down to Cyprus. Right. And it says here uh, that John Mark left them. Right. And, and I think, you know, we, I, did a, I did a sermon a while ago in Colossians about how, how Paul and Luke and those guys are very saddened by some of the desertions. Because basically, I think this is the, the, uh, the description of what's happening in Acts chapter 15, verse 38, when actually um, Paul says that he was deserted by, by Mark. Okay? I think that's what's going on here. So for whatever reason, something jumped off where John Mark said, man, I'm out of here. Okay? We don't really know what, but basically that's the tenor here. And Luke, Luke wanted us to know that something happened. Mark's not in the game, but they're preaching the gospel and they're to move forward. Verse 14, the scriptures say, but they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia, right? And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down, okay? So these guys who now, they, 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 are, they are experiencing life with the Christ event, okay? They're Christians, right? But they go, they go into the synagogue. Interesting, right? Again, that's a, another, another framework of evidence that these guys, they weren't totally just dismissing uh, their Jewish heritage, right? They were going, now, don't get me wrong, they're trying to preach the gospel there, right? But they're not seeing it as a, as a, as a synagogue of demons or anything. They're seeing it as a place where people just haven't understood the full revelation of Jesus. Okay? They go into the synagogue, they sit down. They take their place with the congregation, they're worshiping, you are hearing individuals recite prayers, the whole nine, right? Whole worship of service, they're just hanging. But notice in verse 15, it says, after the reading from the law and the prophets, right, which they enjoyed, right, um, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, see these, they see some brothers, right, that they're like, oh, hey, if you have any word of encouragement for people, say it. Don't you just love that? I'm like, man, I wish I can get gospel lobs like that all the time, right? Can you imagine just hanging out in the subway or something? Hey, brothers, this brother wants to say something, you know? Okay, and you just get up and can preach the gospel. It doesn't happen that way much, but man, that would be that would be really cool. Well, right here, guys, what we have is we have basically the first sermon uh, in Acts, where Paul kind of brings it. So this is this is basically Paul's first sermon, right? And you can parse it out on your own time. It's a pretty big sermon. But what I want to focus on, I'm going to be able to focus on a little bit. So I want you to go back and be able to look at it and talk about it in mat group and be encouraged in the gospel. Okay. But I want you to be encouraged in the gospel with one nuance that I think is the biggest nuance that keeps us focused on the meaning of the text. Notice how God word his expression is toward the people. Notice how he shares the story here. Notice how the focus is all about God. I'm proposing he's giving God's resume. And notice what he does. I'm proposing he shares the gospel. And the way he shares the gospel is by giving God's resume. Look what he says here. He's trying to make you and I see, and again, I'm going to tell you in the beginning, I'm going to tell you in the middle and the end. He's trying to make you and I be convinced, right, as he's proclaiming his gospel to people that he wants to see become Christians, and there's people there too who are probably understanding the way, and they are Christians, so he wants to encourage them too. And he wants them all to understand, he wants us to understand that nothing that happens in history happens without God. That, all, that everything that we're about is about God's story. That, that everything we're doing is about God's story. That from the mundane thing that you think no, God isn't really concerned, isn't really concerned about this, to the thing in your mind where you, you now give credence, but maybe God is concerned about this, right? Which is our own pride that we can determine. God is saying, All of this is used to create and bring me glory. Look at what Paul says. Verse 16. You ready, guys? The scriptures read, So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. So he starts off and he makes sure that he made it clear. He doesn't have it twisted. He knows there's two groups, right? He understands that there are those who are the circumcision individuals who are Jewish and they understand the Judaistic history. And then there's those who are the God-fearers. Now, we've talked about these individuals for a while. These are Gentile individuals who actually... They look at Yahweh and they go, man, I I want your God to be my God. But some of these guys haven't gone the whole way and become proselytes, right? They haven't circumcised themselves and things of that sort. But they're coming to synagogue. They're trying to hang out with Jewish people. They're trying to do the festivals, right? They're trying to be like the Jews because they really like what the Jews show, right? At some level, the Jews are showing some light. And they're like, man, I want to hang with you and be able to experience the covenant benefits of covenant community, right? This is what these guys are about. This is kind of those who fear God. Listen. And look at and look now. Notice this. What I want to focus on. Look at how God acts in history. All right, and go kind of fast. You ready? The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. Look, he, so he starts by saying, "This is what God did, right? The God of Israel, right? Of this people Israel. What did He do? Like they, he chose the fathers, right? And then what did He do? He made the people great, right? If they weren't great because they were great." Right, he made them great. He made them great first because he said, "You're gonna be my people." And I love that. I think one of the most profound aspects of Scripture, next to the cross and resurrection, is how God's people become God's people. I love the fact that when you think of the Israelites, when you think of the Israelites being God's people, and you ask, "Well, why are they God's people? Like, how do they become God's people?" Because God said, "You're my person. <laughs> You're my people." That's profound to me that God has that much power that in your mire, in your sickness, in your evil and all the things. Some of us sit around and go, man, I'm just too messed up for for Jesus to love me. I got got this sin and I do these things. And we sit around and we think that we're not worthy enough. And God looks at a weak people. He didn't pick the strongest. He picked the weak people, the the, the people that were getting bullied. And he looks at them and he says, you're my people. And at that moment, because God is so powerful, guess what they became? God's people didn't one second go by where they were where they did something more they became God's people simply because he said you're my people do you believe that as a Christian that when you say I love Jesus I trust Christ for all my life I trust Jesus for my sin in the midst of my mire and my sickness and my stupidity and my waywardness do you believe that God can look at you and say you're my child or do you think you gotta clean it up a little more? Only if I do this. Wait a minute, Jesus. Let me let me let me let me make sure I want to read the Bible first before I believe that you're the king of the universe. Well, I love the fact that he says. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great doing their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it, it, right? Like they didn't just go, I'm tired of this. God led the people out of Egypt. He continues on. He made them grow, right? That's what we see here. God did this, right? Because we know in in Exodus, the people begin to become um, more numerical, right? Very, like where where, uh, the Pharaoh got mad and wanted to kill many of them. Man, well, how did God give them that grace to, to grow in those numbers that he had, he, had, he had told Abraham he would do? How did that happen? Were they just very fertile? No. God did this. Verse 18, and for about 40 years, he put up with them. You see that he there? He put up with them in the wilderness. right? God was gracious to them. God's grace. He could have destroyed them. He should have killed them. They were grumbling. For 40 years, I get mad when my kids grumble for two seconds. Verse 19, and after destroying seven nations, they right, you see this? I love this. After and after destroying seven nations, right, in the land of Canaan, I love the sense, right, so destroying nations. Well, you're sitting there. You're fighting in the wars, right? You're taking things over. But God doesn't give anybody any credit. He takes all the credit. He didn't say, I, I led the people, and then they did this. No, I did it. I love that. I love the sense of every battle, every general commander who had scars on them and who fought hard and who who was starving because they were in the wilderness trying to battle, they had to humble themselves and say, God did it. They can go, but God, look at my scar. Look how hard I worked. God says, no, 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 I did that. You should be dead in the wilderness right now. I did that. And after God destroyed seven nations Right? It says in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land. Right? Oh, but no, we, we did it. Look at us, man. God was gracious to use us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, here's, I love God's story. I love God's resume. I did it. You see that? It says all this took, took about 450 years for God to accomplish his plans. I love that. That mustard seed effect there. He didn't do it in two days, 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges. Who gave them judges? God did until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, right? Were they just smart? They asked for a king. And what did God do? God gave him a king, right? Gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years, verse 22. And when he had removed him, right? Right, he he, he just didn't fall off, right? What did it say? God removed him. <laughs> what, what happened then? He's, he, so, oh man, we don't have a king now. God said... That's that's, that's child's play. Actually, he was a precursor. Let me raise up David because I got things. I got big things. You understand? So he raises up David. You see what the scriptures say there? He raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Verse 23, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior. You see that? God's saying all this beelines. I've done all this and look what I've done. I've brought a savior to you for Israel. I love this. Jesus as he promised, which again is another key marker. When you, think of, when you think of biblical theology, always remember one of the main things that God is trying to do from the beginning of Genesis all the way to Revelation is to show you and I that God made a promise and that he was faithful. Because that, that, that just brings glory and exaltation of Christ. That, man, I told you I was going to do something, and it took years, and I did all this, and I did this, and you thought this was happening, and this was happening, and guess what? We get to the end, and I was faithful. I got my people. The people who are evil are burning in hell. I was faithful. I newly created everything. I was faithful. Oh, man, that, that just gets me excited I serve that kind of Lord. I'm not walking around here by myself. I got a Lord who is faithful. Look at verse 24. Before his coming, Jesus, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, I love that. I love the sense says here, John, finishing this course, we're going to see in a moment and we'll talk about David. Keep that in your mind. I love that, just that sense that the author wants you and I to understand, in this cosmic reality that God is over everything and everything is happening, he gives you this framework, this sense of course. Why do you think he says that in the midst of this kind of pericope? Why does he say this in the midst of this story, the way he's proclaiming the gospel? You know, what I want to propose to you why he uses the word course, because he's showing you that every one of us have a specific thing that God wants us to do to accomplish his glory. That, you know what, John just didn't happen to end up in the wilderness and got hungry and want to eat a bug. Right? This is all about a course. This is what, you know, you're going to be born, I'm going to have you do this. And you, you're going to be born, I'm going to have you do this. And then you're going to be thinking, well, but I was doing this and I was doing this and I was doing this. And, no, no, and we get caught up in thinking that we can get outside of what God is doing. God is doing all those things was your course, actually. No one is running out here outside of God's hand. God running things, y'all. He says, and as John was finishing his course, right, he said, what do you suppose that I am? Right, I'm not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am unworthy to untie. What's John saying here? Right, John's trying to say what, what Paul is saying. He's like, hey, uh... Life and all the things that are going on, it ain't about me. It's about Jesus. Everything in your life, right? That's what he's saying to those guys. He's like, oh, oh you like me. You think, oh, because I'm doing these things that you couldn't focus on me. No, no, no. Don't you understand all of history was pointing to the Savior? This is John, right? Why is he saying this to you and me? you like, oh, I get that. Well, let's just read a little more. goes on and says, family, in verse 26, brothers sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God. I love to make the distinction again, right? Right? He says, to us has been sent the message of, sal- of this salvation. So he proclaims the good news right now. He says, you have all of history happening. You see God being gracious, delivering, conquering, doing his thing with these people. Right? And the reason why he was doing all those things, because one day that line of those people who have failed and failed and failed again, will actually produce the Savior, Jesus. And he said, hey, 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 let's just pause there because this is very important, guys. So uh, you're all our history, you're all our history. Guess what? It culminates in Jesus. Stop, pause. It culminates in Christ. So you want to know why am I here? He says, this is why I'm here. He says, brothers, pause. Sons of Abraham, I understand our history, right? And those of you who fear God, I understand you don't know what's going on. Let me tell you, your life and your life are all culminating in the Savior, To us has been sent this message of this salvation. He says, hey, there's an opportunity for salvation for for all people, for both groups. And I love this in verse 27. Notice this. Read that. Look what he says. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. You hear that? Let me read that again. That's so packed theologically. He says, hey, to us, there's been sent this message of salvation. And he says, for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, for those of you who are the big dogs, you got all the history. You know what's going on. So now, you know why he's saying this? Because the other people who don't have all the history are kind of listening and going, okay. So, because they want to know, like, how like how how advanced should I be? Like, should I just be getting all this? Right? He says, let's just talk about the people who have all the history, the rulers who had access to all the redemptive history before Christ, the rulers who understood and who who quoted the Bible and who heard the law and the prophets every week. You hear me? Every week. They like us when we go sometime, then we don't go then we go sometime. No. In, In this culture, you went to synagogue. So they hear it every week. And I love the fact that he even says, I'm not even talking about just, I'm not being monolithic like everybody went, but I'm talking about the rulers, right? He says, because, he says, for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, they did not recognize Jesus, nor understand the utterance of the prophets, which were read every Sabbath. You heard it every week. You heard him tell you about the coming savior. You heard him tell you about his body being broken. You heard him tell you about his blood being spilled. You heard him tell you that life in Christ, in, in Yahweh, was about grace. It was never about law. You heard him tell you that you're supposed to be a light of the nations. You've heard the prophets. You've heard it. He says, guess what? You, it says, they did not recognize him. And they not recognize him. Guess what you did? Fulfilled them. You fulfilled what? The very things you were listening to going, them crazy people. I don't know how they don't understand this. He says, in you with your pride or hearing these things, it says, in essence, you've, you fulfilled them by condemning Jesus. That they told you there'll be people like you who will condemn Jesus because you're hearing all the truth and yet you're not even getting it. What is he saying here? He's saying, okay, well, that might be okay for those who know God. Here's what he's saying here. He's saying that any life, there's two, there's two kinds of people. There's people who are getting revelation, right, and who are actually responding to it and saying yes, right? And then he's saying there's another group of people who are getting revelation, and they're responding to it, and they're saying no. Now, the world teaches you and me, right, that by God's grace, I hope you get this, that by God's grace, we who actually hear revelation and receive it, we kind of get that we're on this tell us, God has put us back on the right train, and we're kind of going onto this path to glory, right? But you see what's flawed in that? We almost see ourselves before that, that redemptive moment, just out here in la-la land doing something. And then what happens is you come to Christ, and then, oh, nice choo-choo train, here we go, right? That's not the picture he's painting here. The pictures he's actually trying to paint to you and to me, he's saying, guess what? The people who heard the good news and responded to it before they said yes to Jesus was on a track, a clear track. Whether they knew it or not, they were on a track and they were going somewhere. God redeemed them and they stayed on that track because their track was a redemptive track. And by God's grace, they said yes. But he said something. Now, here's why he's saying this. Because a lot of our world is here, guys, right? If we, 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 are we here? A lot of our world says no. Okay. I don't want to have anything to do with God. As if you can do that. He's saying, let me tell you something. For those of you who think, I'm doing my own life, I hate God, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God, so there he's not there, la, 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 right? Because I don't think he's there, he's not there. Right, love, we play games with our kids. When they're young, I think every kid does this, right? They go and hide. How do they hide? They put a sheet over their head. Right? As if because he put a sheet over their head, I don't see them anymore. So he's saying to the individuals who are walking around in life, who are thinking, no, I do my own thing. You're thinking right now, yeah, yeah, but you know what? I ain't going to be no corny Christian. I'm going to do my own thing. And you're thinking you're doing your own thing. What he's saying right here, he's saying, even by you thinking you're doing your own thing, you're fulfilling scripture. You are on my path. I got this. I have you. And if you're even doing things that you think are just totally just dishonoring and just being horrible toward God, he says, guess what? You've done everything I wanted you to do. That's humbling. So here's the point. His point is like, which track do you want to be on? His point is every person, every human is on a God track. Everybody. Everybody is doing a bidding of God. Everybody. And his point is like, hey. Which one you want to be? Which track you want to be on? So he makes it clear. He humbles these guys. You guys actually fulfill what the father was talking about when you killed them, You ain't do nothing cool. God had this. His point here is that God is the central actor. And I, and I know we talk about this every week because the Bible tells us to talk about it every week. I, I know you're like, man, we talked about this last week. Hey, I got to be favorite to the scriptures, okay? What is God, why does God bring us up every week? That God is sovereign, that God got us, that God is a central actor in this whole thing. Why do you think that's happening? Right? It's because God wants you and I to understand that all of life, history, and that's what he's trying to show these people, is that everything, you've, everything that's happened, both those who are clearly following God and even those who hate God, are both operating in God's framework and that he is the central actor. He is the one that everything is beelining toward. Let's continue on. God is getting his work done, guys, even through those who don't know him. Even through those who don't know him. Verse 28. And though they found in him no no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. So he brings up, he said, hey, so Pilate, he's going to get killed. They're going to kill Jesus. And, And he said, hey, all that's happening because it's fulfilling what God always wanted. This is what God desired to have happen. Yes. Good question. What the Bible tells me is that God is, oh, he asks, we're all in the path. Are we able to change our path? So so basically jump onto the right road. So what I want to say is it seems to me that our lives aren't on paths where we jump off. But we're on a path, and whatever's happening, we're still on that path. And so our beginning path might be unredemptive, right? And then God saves us, and then the rest of our path is redemptive. So I can say to you as a person who believes in God's sovereignty, I'm, I'm reformed. I believe that God is in control of all things. But I also don't understand the mystery of how God does say, hey, you're going to be responsible. You need to be figuring this thing out, right? I don't understand how that all works together. So what I would say to you is that if I am able to change the path, right, it's by God's grace, that God gives me the grace to say, I've asked you before the foundations of the world for you to be a Christian. But the sad thing, I believe that he has warned some people before the foundations of the earth to actually not become a believer. And that's a hard thing for people to grasp. But I can't reconcile looking at Romans 9 and 11 and saying something different. So, so my point in that is that when we talk about God, so now we say, well, are we robots? I would say absolutely not. And that's how we proclaim the gospel. And that's why God has given someone like myself who was selling drugs, who come from a super broken home, uh, who didn't give anything, didn't care about God at all, was, um, as, as Paul says, the chief of sinners. I don't understand how God then, who I didn't care about God. And then what God does is then he flipped that switch in my heart. Right. And so I'm proposing that God knew that my journey was going to be that. But I didn't know. And I'm glad that God gave me the grace to say, I see you for who you are, and I want to I know you and love you. You see that? So our role is to make sure that we allow people to hear that message so that God will hopefully, by his grace, flip the switch. Hope that's helpful. It gets people weary because it's a hard doctrine to take, the reality that how God has created us is for his purposes. To execute him, he's saying, man, they, have, they asked Pilate to have him executed, verse 29. And when they, carried, I love, and when they had carried out all that was written of him, I love, it's almost like they, 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 they just had to do what he was going to happen. They took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Notice how he's talking about it. He's talking about it from God's perspective. What we see is we saw someone on a tree, someone getting murdered. What God sees is them carrying out his plans. You see the difference there? That's what God sees. God is looking at it like, oh, yeah, good. I'm glad you're doing what I told you there. Yep, and yep, mm mm-hmm, yep, okay, okay, yep, mm mm-hmm. And it says, but God, they took him down from the tree, laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. These are the people who are preaching the gospel now. And we bring to you the good news, right, which makes me laugh because um, this is is a side note, this is how I am. Uh, we were doing soccer yesterday and, and Colette was dying laughing because I was trying to teach the four to six-year-olds what is the good news. And she, <laughs> and I am, I'm trying to be all serious. And I'm like, so guys, remember last week? What do we say? Um, no, I think I said, uh, what is the, what did we say the gospel was? And they go, I like butterflies. <laughs> and I'm like, as Colette says, you know I saw you. She just like, just standing there, just laughing like, <laughs> Yeah, it's harder than it looks. But um, I should have asked you to help me out there. You saw I was, you saw I was drowning. Why you didn't you come over? You just sat there and laughed at me. Okay, so um, the scriptures say, uh, and we bring you, I love this. So remember, he sets this picture up and he says, hey, all this stuff I'm saying to you, people, what do you think the Jews are doing right now? Do you think they're kind of getting frustrated? You think they're kind of going, well, what, are you, what are you saying here? What's going on here? And I love that he, Paul, he says, hey, what I'm talking to you is good news. What I'm sharing with you, this is good news. That what God promised to the fathers, verse 33, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. And also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. In verse 34, and as for the fact that he raised Jesus from the dead, no more to To return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David, right? Therefore, he says also in another Psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption, right? Like David, David, right? When he died, started curling, right? Jesus actually glorified body. Whole point there, the resurrection is real. So now tell me something. That's how he shares a gospel story. (laughs) You see how he shared a story? I mean, when's the last time you and I have shared a story about the gospel or even about our life. And every five seconds is God did this. Then God did that. Then God said this. Then God said that. Then God did this. Then God did that. Then God was glorified here. Then God did this. Then Jesus did this. Then God did this to Jesus. Then Jesus did this. Because I'm just, that's just a text. How many verses is that? Was that what? 11, 12, I'm sorry, 15 verses maybe. And he shares, he talks about God, how many times? You saw all those orange rare words. He brings up, here's what the Lord has done, right? Why is he doing that, guys? He's showing you and I that Israel, that all that's happening in history, if you can go into the next slide. I said, is that, he's saying, hey, listen, guys, you have the slaves in Egypt, you have the wilderness, you have the promised land, you have the judges, talks about Saul. He's talking about David, right? And he says, hey, all that is leading to Jesus. That all of history was leading to Christ. And then he helps us understand. He's talking to these Jews and these Gentiles. And he's saying, but hey, I know. You remember Jesus came on the scene. You guys didn't know what he was about. Let me tell you. John the Baptist was actually preparing a way for for the king. What was he preparing a way? Because Jesus was going to get crucified. Jesus gets crucified. He dies on the cross. He rises from the dead. And all this happens to be that salvation for those who need the forgiveness of sins. That's his point, right? What a resume, right? God's resume. Guess what? What I love about this, that was not even 2% of his resume, right? Because he didn't go and talk about all the millions of people and what he's done in all their lives and what he's doing daily. And he hasn't begun to talk about what he's done in our lives. But I want to propose to you That that's one of the things we're supposed to be doing is that when you and I go out and we proclaim the gospel, we go out and we're neighboring. We need to learn as a covenant community how to share God's resume. This is one of the reasons why we do our prayer time. When I when I say, "Hey guys, let's talk about when God has done something," praise. I'm I'm serious because I want us to learn how to see when God is doing something. We go, "Man, God did that." And so, you know, it's interesting to me how the world, when you hang out, you know, you know we friends with people who don't know Jesus. I mean, I'm just, I'm always amazed at how people who don't know Christ or people who say I know Jesus, but they totally live a life totally apart from the Lord, which means they don't know Jesus. They talk about their sin and their life just so flippantly. You know, I meet someone and they're just like, you know, yeah, here's, here's my partner, you know. And, and, and I'm just like, man, I feel like when we want to talk about the truth of our life, we get nervous. And our life is actually true. We actually have truth. Like, we have nothing to be ashamed of. And don't we see that in Romans 1? Right? They don't even blush at their sin. They're like, yeah, I'm doing wild things. This is how it is, man. And we, I wonder, what would happen? And you, have you ever had this happen? The Holy Spirit gives you the strength to actually just talk about God in a free way. In a very freeing way. I'm proposing to you guys, when I do that, and I think you guys probably have some testimonies in here. People get inquisitive when your life and you, and you start saying things like you know they go hey man your kids are so nice you know <laughs> like well we don't want to take any credit for that man what we're trying to do is just teach them like how God views the world and, and how he views character and when you start talking like that people are just kind of like they'll go oh, okay but in their minds they're going man he brought up God hold up and we ain't got to preach it's like no you, you share something I'm sharing back we're being honest your worldview is the world my worldview is Jesus so, hey, if you cool with yours bouncing up against mine, I'm cool with mine bouncing up against yours. We cool? But I think what happens is we go, oh, well, they're going to speak. I'm weird. And, you know, yeah, well, thanks, man. You know, yeah, we do homeschool or whatever. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, what? What would it look like to, 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 to learn how to share God's resume? Let's continue on, guys. Mm. He sends his message of salvation, right? Um, look what he says here Verse 36 For David After he had served The purpose of God In his own generation That whole sense again Right John the Baptist Having the thing He was supposed to do David King of You know the, Here's his thing here's, He served God For his generation He did his thing And he died Alright go home Go be with the Lord You did your work Right that whole, that whole mindset It says Fell asleep And was laid with his fathers And saw corruption Right He's not Jesus He was good He was an awesome king He ain't Jesus Right He's, he's, he's hoping for the resurrection just like us, praise the Lord. But he, whom God raised up, did not see corruption. Only one. Let it be, he said, let it be known to you. Therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Clear as the bell. Clear as a bell. Look what he does there. He says, Hey, let's make it really clear. Now all this stuff I'm talking about, I'm telling you that you can't find forgiveness of sin and nothing else. It's only in Jesus. It's proclaimed to you in Christ. That basically this was the loudest roar for the father to the world was the crucifixion and resurrection. Right? Verse 39. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beautiful passage there. Some of your translations might say what? Justified. Right? The word, the word actually is justified. Think about that. What could, or can I even say now for many of us, what can the law free you from? Right. Why does he use the word free? We think of justified to be declared righteous, right? To be right. Why does he use free? Always remember in the gospel you get that forgiveness and justification piece. They work hand in hand, right? Remember, God died on the cross, right? And what he did was he freed us from sin, right? But guess what? He forgave us. He forgave us of sin, right? But guess what? If he just forgave us, what's the problem, family? Say it. You're still not just. If he cleanses you and you're still in your same state, then you're going to be unclean in about two seconds. That's the beauty of the cross is that he just doesn't cleanse us from sin, he then makes us righteous. Justification. Now you hear me, some of you in here right now, got sin in your life or struggling with stuff and you starting to believe the lie that you're not right. And you're not justified in Christ. And it's one of the biggest areas of paralysis for the believer. Especially men, we're scared to lead because there's something going on in our life. And we go, well, man, until I'm perfect, we won't say that because that's bad theology, but we live it. I can't move. I can't be on mission. Now, we don't need to balk at sin. We need to take it seriously. But do you understand what God has done in the spiritual realm when he killed his son for you? Is that he just didn't free you in the sense of forgiving you and said, okay, now, are you, I, you said sorry, you straight for this point. He then says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make you new and I'm going to make you righteous. I'm going to make you holy. That's what he does. Man, Satan tries a lot of you and me. He'll say, I'll, give, I'll even give you forgiveness. But I don't want to give you justification. That's too freeing. It's too freeing. I'm here to tell you guys as your pastor, God has freed you from unrighteousness. Why? Not because you don't do it, but because it's not who you are. And then God is going to work that out in and through you. That's sanctification. That's process. That's enduring to the end. Endure with us. Right? So he says, I love the author would take and put free there. Right? Because when now you understand who you are, when you understand you're holy, and it's not the argument you got into last night, it's not the thing you did, it's not the, the pure evil thing that you knew as a Christian. I look dead at this and I chose evil. As a believer who walks with the Lord, he says, even in that, his cross is more powerful than your sin. So he says, I've freed you. You're unshackled. You don't have to go back and say, No, yeah, he was right, though. I really am a liar. He says, No, you're unshackled. So he's telling these people that law, that thing you focused on, that thing can't can buy you nothing. He says, It could never buy you nothing. And he says, Right now, to the people in 2014, if you're sitting around here thinking, Only if He's saying, it can get you nothing. Only Christ frees you. Praise the Lord for freedom in Christ. And I love it. He gives, them, he gives it to him, guys. He says, here it is. This is all I got. He says, I'm giving you the greatest message. <laughs> I'm giving you the, the maximizing understanding of what God has done on the cross. Like, this is it. The, like, God has done this. This is like, this is God's biggest revelation to the world. The cross and resurrection. F- the father going, man, what else can I do with these people? <laughs> he says, hey, that's the law of Moses. Verse 4, to beware. So he says, beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophet should come about. Right? That look, you scoffers. He says, I don't want this to be your journey. He wanted to say this to you. Look, you scoffers. Be astounded and perish, for I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you would not believe, even if one tells it to you. I don't want that to be your journey. Right? Look at the response. Verse 42. As they went out, the people begged. I love this, right? I love this. Two journeys here. Very weird, but isn't this beautiful? As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them next Sabbath. They went out and said, man, who's that guest speaker? Hold up. Hold up. Where you live at? Man, can he come next week? Hey, you good too, Pastor, but hey, can he come next week? Right? Who is this dude talking like this is gospel stuff? What's going on here? Can he come next Sabbath? And you notice, so th- th- to have a speaker come up in the synagogue, you just didn't roll up because you felt led by the spirit. They didn't work like that. I know that's how we do some charismatic circles. It work like that. The leader, right, would say, I want this brother to come up, right? So they went to the leaders and said, hey, can you bring him again, right? Which is cool. Now think about God's grace there. All right, now think about God's grace, because let me read a few more passages, and we're going to go home. So they want to invite this guy back. Verse 43 says, and after that meeting, the meeting uh, of the synagogue broke up. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, right, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue the grace of God. And I don't know if that meant they were believers or would say, hey, you heard a lot of good stuff. Uh, hey, man, just keep, you know, just, I don't know if they shared the gospel with them then. In my mind, he says, continue the grace of God makes me believe that they have faith. But I don't. But the, the scriptures don't tell us, so I'm not going to down any heels there. What we do know is God was speaking, and people were hearing, all right. And that people were like, "Man, these we're hearing some stuff, right?" And so you had Jews and these, these divert, devout converts to Judaism was like, I, "I want to understand who you're talking about." And then it said, "The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered, right?" So I love this. <laughs> like, it's one of those things where even if the synagogue rulers had not said yes. I mean, I don't know how this works. Maybe they said yes, and the whole city gathered. But also, I wonder, if the whole city had gathered, I know they were like, hey, where Paul at? Where Paul at? They they want to hear Paul. But I love the sense that now you got the whole city gathering. Now, it says, the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when, check this out, verse 45, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Now, notice that. Here's Here's what's interesting to me. Understand the sovereignty of God here. You got a big group of people who want to kill this guy. They are so upset, right? But I just love the fact, I love this. I love the fact that God chose the right people who would like his message because if the group of people who didn't like his message was the leaders, he wouldn't have been able to speak. You see the sovereignty in that? It's like God was like, okay, you running things, you going to like it. You going to like it. You going to hate it. You going to like it. You going to like it. And I love the fact that he had the right people want to keep bringing this guy up so that the word of God can be proclaimed. I just love just seeing these evidences of God's sovereignty and how he's ruling everything and nothing's outside his hand. I hope that encourages you as you think about your life. And it says, they get upset, they revile him. And notice this, this is not even about truth. They mad because he's kind of a sheep stealer, right? I mean, can you imagine this? He's going into synagogue. Right, these people doing their thing, and he's talking to devout, devout, devout Jews that they've been going for years. Okay, and he's talking to people who are God-fearers, and now they want to go. Hey, where your church at? Right, and so they're like, "Man, this guy is." He's, and so they're jealous. Verse 46, and Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. All right, and he says, I love this, for so the Lord has commanded us. I love that. He's like, man, I ain't mad at y'all. This ain't nothing personal. The The Lord told us this. He says, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many, I love this sense again, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Again, you see that kind of language in Revelation a lot because God wants you to see that nothing happens outside his hand. He'll say uh, this whole sense of as many as were appointed. His point when he gives you numbers in Revelation, his point isn't like there's 144,000. His point is that there's no one kind of sneaking in. Right? It ain't like it was 144,000 and somebody was in the crack like, mm, you know, and got in. He's like, oh, change the books, change the books, One hundred forty-four thousand and one. Like that's not God. God is saying what he says goes. And here he's saying he knew who all was going to get saved. And guess what? Not one or not less. And the scriptures read, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Even with the haters, the people saying, I don't like these guys probably making lies and all these things. And the word just keeps spreading. Couldn't stop it. All right? And verse 50 says, but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Barnabas and Paul, Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. Right, but let, check this out. So you got the haters, and you know when people get mad, they, they found the, the powerful people who got the, who gonna call the shots, right? So you get the powerful women, the powerful men. Hey, we gotta get these guys and get them out of here. And the scriptures say, here's their response. They shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. In that perspective, didn't fight it. It was kind of like, man, that's messed up. We told them we want to proclaim the gospel. They don't want to hear the gospel. Okay, well, who wants to hear the gospel? And guess what? I'm in, I in, I love the sense of, and to feel with joy in the Holy Spirit. They're like, God is on the move, right? People, people, people chasing them out of the city. And they're they like, yeah, okay. Where are we going next for Jesus? When we think of what, what questions are being asked in our community, how do we apply this? Text. I just wanted to bring four words up that I want you to be asking yourselves if these words came out or if you were to share these words with someone, how would you explain them? Because this is what's going on in the text, right? Can you put it up, please? All right. What is God teaching? What is he teaching these people who is listening? Right? Well, first and foremost, we see the whole text and our lives. What he wants to make you and I convinced of is that everything that we are about in life, whether you are a believer or unbeliever, is happening under God's watch. And he's in total control of it because he wants to receive glory. So life is about glorification. And that's why when you become a Christian, when God makes you aware of that, that's why you can't do the same job you used to do the same way, in the same way you used to do it. That's why when you become a Christian, you can't, you can't love your husband the same way you used to love him as an unbeliever. That's why because everything now changes where the focus of life isn't about you or whatever other idol you had in your life, but the focus is Jesus. The whole focus. So you can't, as a Christian, you shouldn't just be able to to just move into a neighborhood the same way you used to move into a neighborhood. You shouldn't be able to just, right, do math and homework with your kids the same way you used to do it because you're doing schoolwork for different reasons now. Right? Everything. I'm saying there's nothing that you can mention to me where I go, okay, yeah, well, that has nothing to do with God. You got me there. Right? And then what God does? Revelation, he right? I, the sense. I mean, John Piper said it so well. It like Jesus, the world tries to try to try to frame it, or we can sometimes frame it like like he popped out of a hat, like a bunny rabbit or something. Right, like that's not what God did, and that's the whole point. When you see these guys in Acts over and over again taking a chapter and a half to tell you the redemptive story, you know why they're doing that? Because they're trying to, try to make it clear to you and me, for those believers, for us to feel comforted, going, "Oh, God has been doing this all throughout history, so He's faithful." Right? This didn't just happen last week. He's been doing this for thousands of years, and God is faithful. And for the unbeliever to go, "Oh." He's been pointing to himself for thousands of years. I better get on board. This ain't, it wasn't just like, "Woo! look at me. Look what I can do. Water the wine. Blah, blah, blah. Like, that's not what happened. Right? This is thousands of years. So God has been gracious in his revelation. That's what Romans is talking about. God has done this in creation, in his revelation of his son, and in resurrection. Understanding. That Basically, what God has done in the resurrection, He's saying that it's a it's kind of the hotbed of everything that God wants to be about. It's the it's the focus of of, of him maximizing His glory. He says, "You want to understand my love for you. You want to understand my desire for my my name to be glorified. You want to understand from my desire for people to know who I am. Look at it in the cross and resurrection. I I killed my son and I rose him from the dead." This is the this is the height of revelation. I I'm I'm proposing to you in Christianity. There's nothing else that God has done where God is going. Like that was that was my like this is my best trick here. I'm telling you, He gave it in justification. That God is saying to us, man, he wants to be glorified. He is revealing himself so the world might understand what the resurrection holds. And in the resurrection, we trust and believe in the Savior, in the finished work of Jesus. Not our, what we do, no matter how bad your life is, no matter what you think you've done, no matter how you think I can not come back. He says that in Christ is forgiveness of sin and justification. We can be made right today. Some of you need to be reminded you were made right. How do, you, how do you tell this story to your neighbors? How do you answer their questions? How do you, how do you walk out of here? After, after us renewing our minds and understanding what life's truly about, I hope we walk out of here uh, with a gospel framework. Wanting to invite. Wanting to live a life motivated by grace. By grace. Wanting to love each other with Christ-centered love. And wanted to make him known and be able to conversate about the glories of Christ. Bragging, telling his resume. Think about it, guys. Wrestle with that in that group. That's what we see our predecessors do. We see them preaching the gospel. We see God giving them them favor. We see sovereignty all over the place. Let's live in light of that reality in our lives, personally experiencing victory, and as a community proclaiming gospel to the nations in our community, all right? Let's be that family. Here's what we're going to do. Let's do tithing offering. Let's do communion. Um, Again, Every week we say this. We just want to make it clear. We worship God when we do tithing offering. It's about worship to us. We are so glad you're here if you're a visitor, but you don't have to give out of compulsion. It's not our deal. If you want to worship Jesus, please give of your resources. We need resources to allow the ministry to keep going, but that is not our heart. It's for you to get your money. God has been really gracious to our body. Um, Mac Avers get that, but we just want to tell you as visitors, I mean, if you're wondering what's going on with the with the tithe basket. That's our heart behind the tithe basket. Uh, we're gonna also do a time of communion, guys. Just um, enjoying Jesus together as a covenant community, just reminding ourselves that Jesus' body was broken for us. His blood was shed for our sin. He is the one that we trust for forgiveness of our sin. He is the one we trust in order to be justified by faith, um, by by God's grace. And so we take um, those elements and we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Just want to remind you, if you are not a believer, to allow these um, the elements to pass by you, okay? These are for the people of God who are proclaiming the resurrection of Christ. Um, and again, parents, remind your kids of that reality. We're take this very serious, okay? Uh, you, what you're going to do is, come on, guys, come on down. What you're going to do is when the, tithe, when the communion comes out, you're going to take it at your leisure, grab it, bring it to your seat, wait for uh, me, and then I'll go ahead and lead us uh, in the taking of communion, and then we're going to um, head to the house. Be encouraged, guys. Now, I know we're a reformed body, you know. Megan has to really encourage us to clap. I get it. But well, guess what? I want us in our reformness to experience a deep burning excitement of the fact that you, like Jesus, will rise from the dead. To, to understand that it doesn't happen when you die, but God said it happened the day you said yes to Jesus. And I'm telling you, because of that, nobody in this room who loves Jesus, no matter how serious your circumstance is, and I don't want to make flipping any of your circumstances, but no one should be walking around with their head down because Jesus has risen. And so you've risen too. And so I'm asking, get in community, be discipled, join this local body. So you don't have to fight the fight of faith by yourself, but partner and lock arms so that we together can bring honor and glory to Jesus. Let me pray for us.